Hey everybody, this is Patrick Cacciatore here with No Struggle, No Story. Here on No Struggle, No Story, we speak with highly successful athletes about struggles and adversities that they faced and how they've been able to overcome them to grow not only as people, but as uh, not only as athletes, but as people as well. So today I'm super excited to be bringing on former uh, University of Michigan outside hitter and current FSU beach volleyball player, Sydney Wetterstrom. So thank you so much for coming on today. Yeah, thanks, Patrick. It's great to be on. Thanks for joining or having me join. Yeah, absolutely. And so I think, you know, um, your story is super inspiring to me. And I think, you know, the way that you really advocate for mental health and, you know, all people really being able to realize that mental health is a real thing is, you know, such an important battle um, that our society uh, is fighting. And so I guess to kind of start out, maybe you could kind of talk about what got you to this point, how, um, what led you to become such an advocate for mental health? I'd have to say it just came from my own failures, my own tumbles, um, being in a dark place for sure. And just wanting more, not wanting to be uncomfortable all the time and kind of more so having those around me who have reached out to me, who've had similar experiences and realizing that I wasn't alone with it yet being depressed or having severe anxiety isolated me in a way. And so for me, I never want anyone else. I never wanted anyone else to feel that way. And hearing stories of individuals who had taken their life and knowing that I just as well could have been in their shoes from previous experiences I guess it's now kind of been my mission to provide resources and to destigmatize mental health and athletics. I think that's amazing. And I think it's really common that people overshadow or uh, mental health is overshadowed um, by a lot of things, right? I don't think, you know, as athletes, we work so hard on our physical health, right? Like maintaining our bodies, things like that. But I think oftentimes mental health isn't thought about. So what kind of led you to, I guess, advocate for more resources and things like that? And what are you kind of um, looking for athletes to do to help their mental health? Yeah, I want to go back on what you said and how you talked about just that physical being and how like we are these elite athletes and physically we can squat this much weight, we can bench this much, we can run this point in time. And I had that similar experience where I was physically at the best shape of my life But mentally and emotionally, I was fatigued and I was withdrawn and I was struggling and I couldn't put pinpoint what I was feeling. I didn't understand, oh, this feeling of hopelessness of being alone and isolated. What was it? And so I think that's very similar to what you have, what you're talking about and how as athletes, you feel like you have to be on top of the world and you have to compete at the best level. And like in many, many sports we're striving for perfection. Sure. And I think it's a lot of stress. And then as we're student athletes in the university setting, not only are you having to deal with practice and mm. competing, but you have to deal with the classroom and then that social well, that social aspect and how as a freshman or a sophomore, you're kind of just thrown into it. There's not much life training. And so as I struggled as a freshman, I look back and think, what resources could I have used to help me in my transition? And that's kind of like what I want to go into 
after I compete and after I'm done with eligibility is providing resources for student athletes and whether that's being a mentor or like an allyship kind of thing so it's like you're as a freshman you're paired with an upperclassman and kind of having someone who's been in the same shoes and like guiding you through that and then just also like education when it comes to stress I was in the shoe or I was in the boat where I had these feelings I'd have panic attacks I'd be in my dorm room and the world was spinning and I couldn't identify it therefore it didn't exist but then once I was diagnosed with severe depression, uh, severe anxiety and major depressive disorder, it then gave it a label and gave it an explanation. And that's not to say a diagnosis is for everyone. People kind of debate back and forth whether a diagnosis is helpful or it's not helpful, but for me it was. And so then just like, I think resources for student athletes would then just be that educational and that support. I've always been a supportive leader, like knowing like, how can those around me be the best they can be? And I think that I think that they can be the best they can be if they feel supported and loved and accepted. I think that's the biggest thing is that people feel and people are validated and that your feelings are validated, I think is such a huge point. And I think I really want to touch on something you said there where all athletes are striving for, for, for perfection, right? And I think that's at all high level sports it's you are always put under or on a pedestal you have a scope on you and you're being looked at and people are really putting a lot of pressure on you from so many sides and so is there a different way that you kind of defined perfection once you really learned about these um about these disorders and things like that how were you able to judge yourself and compete at that sport while having these feelings yeah I definitely think my definition of perfection shifted and changed and kind of looking through being grateful through the lens of gratitude, being grateful that I could compete because I had um, incidents and I had experiences and injuries that kind of removed me from the playing field and looking as an outsider on the bench or kind of like being withheld from practice and unable to participate, I looked at how grateful and how amazing the experience is to be an athlete and to compete with whatever team is on your chest and to compete with others that are striving for their own perfection, their own thing. So like the definition of perfection that came to me was how am I having fun? How am I enjoying my time on the court, getting to know my teammates and how am I able to improve myself, whether it's just 1% every day? It's so easy to, you know, forget it, forget about that lens, right? Because I mean, that, at the end of the day, for most of us, I think that's what led us to our sports, right? Is that love for the game and having fun with it and really enjoying all of these unbelievable aspects. I mean, you played for, you know, a huge school. I mean, it's amazing, you know, the opportunities that we're given and things like that for most athletes. Um, so, I mean, I guess, how did you... Did, how, how tough was it to shift that perspective for you? Because I think, you know, when you're dealing, I know personally when I was dealing with a lot of depression and anxiety, um, I really struck, it translated right to the court and things like that. And so were there certain maybe techniques or things that you did to help yourself, you know, shift into that perspective each day? Yeah, I definitely think what launched me into changing my perspective was just hitting rock bottom. I think whether it was um, experiencing sexual assault and then that heightened my anxiety and that heightened my depression, which then led me down to a suicide attempt 
I think that rock bottom made me realize, okay, so like the Phoenix, we burn, we crumble, yet we spark back up again and we're here. I survived the worst days of my life and I'm here. So then with that, I actually, with the help of my head coach and my assistant head coach at the University of Michigan, really with their support and the support staff and my teammates, they really helped me launch into it. But I remember my freshman year, my coach gave me an article discussing mindfulness and just the power of being present. Um, one quote that I've been like dishing out to people when they come to me with stress, I'm like, in order to in- ensure a healthy, happy, positive, whatever adjective you want future, you have to focus on the present. Cause so many times are we doing a task? It could be as simple as like filling up a water bottle and we're thinking of something else. And then we overfill that water bottle. The present task at hand is beginning, is then tarnished or then not successful because we're focusing somewhere else. So I think when it came to athletics, it was being present. And so whether that's, I had a bad day and I couldn't hit a ball in the court, I would then focus on something very tangible, like my pinky toe, not even anything like, oh, if I hit this ball in, or if I hit this ball out, the coach is going to play me. The coach is going to sit me. I literally was just like, be in my route or be in my transition. You're just being like, ah, pinky toe, pinky toe. Something <laughs> weird. I know, I know. It's weird. It's so that's weird. awesome. But that's was like my focus. Something that I knew was there and wasn't going anywhere, hopefully. <laughs> and then, so that was an, one skill I learned. And then there's always little things. I would wear a... Uh, I would wear a wristband or a hair tie and say I had a negative thought. I would just kind of snap it. I would Mm -hmm. just kind of pick at it, flick at it. And that was my sensor. I've sensor of just letting it go or people have done like the flush it. Yeah. Yeah. They like act as if they're like flushing the toilet or something. So they're (laughs) flushing it out. I know. Just like getting it out and there's some symbol or some behavior to help us with our thoughts because I speak of this all the time. Like we really can't control what comes in our head. If I was to say, do not, do not absolutely do not think of a purple elephant. You're thinking of a purple elephant. I'm so sorry. It's already there. It's already there. (laughs) We can definitely choose our reaction to our thoughts. We can Mm -hmm. choose to give our thoughts energy and resources and time, or we can choose to withhold that energy from that thought and just let it go. And so that mindfulness, um, just being present was huge. Uh, I did, like I've talked about, just meditation is focusing on your breath. So many times we don't, first of all, we're not taught to breathe. It just happens. Thankfully, thankfully it just happened. That'd be brutal if it wasn't. (laughs) I know, but just in stressful situations, just noticing, wow, my heart rate is elevated. My breath is, my respiration rate is increased. And then slowing it down. So, yeah, I don't know. No. What have you got? What are your skills that you do? Yeah, I mean, for me, I think when it comes to that, I for me, a big one has been journaling. I mm-hmm. uh, I journal a lot, and I think, you know, when we're kind of in the heat of everything, um, you know, our brain, you know, I, I like to call it like self one and self two, right? So you have like the self one, which is kind of he's just spraying all kinds of thoughts at you, right? Like you, they're uncontrollable. Like I don't 
I don't know where they come from. I have no mm. idea. Still, I mean, I'm sure there's a psychological, there's some science behind it. I don't know where it comes from, right? And then there's like the self too, who's kind of trying to, I guess, like identify like, okay, like which one of those are valid and stuff like that. And so for me, journaling and writing down and being, and like writing down my feelings and exactly like what's happening in my heart and like, and all of that is really allows me to kind of look at it and be like, okay, like that's not what ha- what's happening at all you know, like that is definitely like not it. And, you know, it allows me to kind of to create a sense of calm and realize that everything is really going to be okay. And that all these things are much less than I was making them out to be. And then I think I'm able to, you know, positively, like, um, I can put a positive uh, label on all the things that happen to me and learn and really realize that they're kind of more opportunities to grow rather than, negative things. And so journaling has been huge for me. And then I also, um, every single day I write on my arm, um, four characteristics that I just kind of want to embody. So for me, it's selflessness. Um, what's a, uh, process oriented, uh, so kind of like you talked about just like one step at a time, um, positivity and then resilience. And so, you know, whenever, like you said, like those thoughts are coming at me, like, okay, like if I miss this shot, like, I don't know if I'm, is he going to start me? Is he going to venture me? Things like that. I'm just like, okay, like how can I be positive here? How can I be resilient? How can I take it one step at a time? And I think it's just kind of helps me live by principles rather than, you know, the emotions um, that I'm feeling a lot of the times. And those two have kind of helped me stay grounded, I think. That's so interesting. My freshman year when I was like really struggling, but wasn't identifying it. I had the letters ELF. I know it spells elf, but um, (laughs) it was enthusiasm, love, and fun. So those three things I wanted to focus on during my practice. I was having a terrible day, a terrible week. Um, And I was like, okay, I'm going to be enthusiastic. I'm going to love the sport and I'm going to have fun with it. Absolutely. And so I love that you have that visual reminder every day in practice, these are what you're going to work on because they're very manageable. Exactly. And that, like you said, I think that puts another point on what you said is like controllables, right? And only so much of what happens in our life is um, controllable. And I really, um, you know, I really took a lot for, there was this book that Urban Meyer wrote, right? The former Ohio State football, football coach, right? And he had something there where it was like, event plus reaction equals outcome and it basically just said you know these events are uncontrollable you know like whatever happens to us you know who knows what it is right if you have a bad day somebody says something to you that you don't like it is what it is but the reaction is what's going to control the outcome and I think like you said like your ELF and my PPRS are the you know those things really kind of a lot show us how we want to react and it's just a reminder because it's so hard to you know, in the moment to be, to remember them. So I think having that visual reminder is huge. Yeah, totally. Uh, 100%. I think that's awesome. And so I guess kind of what you talked about, what you wanted to speak about was, you know, like providing those resources for student athletes to really be able to have, um, you know, something to go to uh, as, you know, as an athlete, which I think are so scarce and in college athletics and, you know, really, in all terms of mental health. So what are some of those kind of resources that you're wanting to provide for them? And how do you want to go about that? Yeah, so I and myself and another fellow student athlete from the University of Michigan have created a 
organization called Student Athlete Sexual Health. And so we focus on student athletes who have survived any sexual trauma, sexual abuse. And we've created a workbook to get a workbook that provides coping mechanisms and just kind of that community aspect. So we set it up at University of Michigan as a support group. So individuals, allies would come and it was weekly where you would just sit and talk and like we'd have different exercises in place. And so with that in mind, we've created an organization and we've had this workbook published. So an individual can work on it on their own because everyone's healing is different or universities can collaborate with us in our organization and have us either come in and do a workshop or we supply resources, whether it's that workbook or just like our consulting. And so that's kind of like the main focus that we've been working on now. But then with that, we've kind of branched off just to normal wellness because any student athlete, no matter if you've had a traumatic experience or not, will benefit from just kind of taking the time to reflect and to be aware. So we kind of use this wellness wheel, which it's been from like indigenous cultures, Native American cultures use it, where it originated with the mind, the heart, the body, the spirit. So it's like your emotional well-being, your physical well-being, um, uh, mentally and like everything. And we've kind of branched off that in the lens of a student athlete. So it incorporates academic your community, your environment, um, nutrition, because that we all know that's super huge, your sleep with recovery. And so each, this book is then broken down into each chapter and each one of those things that I listed, giving one, just like information on the importance of it, of our well-being, and then two, kind of allowing you to kind of analyze it and then work with those around you or maybe by yourself to see, okay, like if this is where I'm at now, what can I do to improve it? 100%. And so, yeah, we, that's just uh, been our journey with wellness and student athletes and then creating resources. Um, I've also worked when I was at the University of Michigan at a t- task force for individuals who have been affected by injury. Yeah. And that, that journey, because we all, it's our biggest fear as athletes to be competing one day and have maybe it's a season injury maybe it's a career ending injury and how do we how do we bounce back from that because so much of our identity is tied into athletics and we want to support those who have been affected by injury and then so we worked on that together at the University of Michigan and some we worked with the medical aspects the medical um, staff the counseling, other student athletes, and just creating programs and support for athletes in that regard. And then another resource that I hope many people use, it's actually a non, there's a nonprofit called Athletes Ally. Okay. Because when my, I was the head of mental health for student athlete, um, like the government there. The SAC? Yeah, you guys SAC, right? Okay, got it. And we, so Sam Roy is, was my co-chair. She's also the individual who helped me run SASH. And we sent out a quiz or not a quiz. um, (laughs) My mind is facing. Survey, maybe? Survey, questionnaire. There we go. Got you. I got the (laughs) Um, questionnaire to our student athletes and asked what, for you to improve your well-being, what is there that you need? And Mm -hmm. majority people actually talked about um, LGBTQ, um, 
mm-hmm. education because sure. so much again it's another part of identity and it's tiptoed around it's not very addressed well and people have this heteronormative idea that this is it's boyfriend girlfriend it's male female whether it's your sexual orientation or your identity your pronouns and everything so that again that may be off topic for mental health but i think in order for you to be well Mm -hmm. you have to have the support and the love so we also brought in Athletes Ally, which is an organization that kind of creates the discussion and educates coaches, um, teammates, support staff on the importance of having an inclusive environment. So, yeah. I think that's unbelievable. I think, you know, I, a little off topic, but at some point I would love to talk to you about that because I've definitely been trying to do something similar at Nebraska, mm-hmm. but been looking for, you know, maybe a kind of like a structure to build off of, you know, because we've been trying to figure something out. I've been speaking with our, you know, our head of our mental health department here, but okay, maybe, maybe for another time, but um, no, but seriously, that's, I think that's incredible. I think your journey just to help others is really, really inspiring. And I think I'd be really interested. And I think a lot of people would, what are the most common, um, you know, I guess, struggles that student athletes are coming to you with? Um, you know, through that, through that program. And I know a lot of it's like what I'm talking about, mostly the wellness and, you know, you obviously have your sexual health, but what, yeah, what are you seeing kind of the most among student athletes, I think would be really interesting to hear. I think the biggest thing that student athletes face is the imposter syndrome. Yeah. I, I'm guessing you've probably heard of it, how people think, well, it's huge in athletics, especially that trans formation between high school and college because in high school you're the best of the best you were your hometown favorite you were the athlete of the year and then you're thrown into a group of athletes that were also the best of the best they're also the athlete of the year and so you start to question yourself and I think from that imposter syndrome thinking that you didn't you don't belong thinking that your coach made a huge mistake um uh-huh. comes the anxiety part uh-huh. And so then from with anxiety, you're questioning yourself, uh, do like, am I good enough? And just like that little worry then festers and grows and becomes infectious and it's all in our head. It's not anything that's seen. And so it's kind of chicken and the egg. Like what happens? Are we anxious first? And then we get depression or are we depressed, worrying, and then we have anxiety. So I think just a baseline. There's always just a baseline of anxiety and depression. And then what stems from that is self-harm behavior, maybe uh, an addiction to alcohol, drugs and stuff like that. So like, I think it's just, if we could face that and not, maybe I'm off, maybe I'm wrong, but I think to improve the well-being of student athletes, if we could just face that anxiety and depression and not normalize it but destigmatize it so if someone was to come up to you and say wow i don't belong here i'm extremely extremely anxious what is whatever you say could be the most important thing for that person to get help um yeah i remember my freshman year we had this we had a group of people come in and talk about anxiety and depression, checking the box off completely. And I emailed them afterwards saying like, Oh, wow. Like I'd love to meet with you. I'd love to have 
conversation I've had similar feelings like sometimes I just am so low and so hopeless and I don't know where I can find the will to keep going and that person responded with well I'm extremely extremely busy but go do this go meet with this person and for me that kind of was like a shut like the door shut in my face it's like oh so did you just talk the talk and then not actually care and not do the walk so I think with that being said it's like if someone does come to you saying that they've had these extreme feelings and not that they have to be extreme but there's this discomfort Mm -hmm. do something that is my two cents do something I think that's the most important thing you could possibly say is I think it's really easy to say oh you know what like I've got a lot going on in my life but I don't think people realize um that that person those feelings what they lead what they lead to for a human being and you know obviously you and me I think have both had that experience right of being on the verge of you know feeling like I I don't know if I have a will to live at this point and but that truly is what it can and it's not not for everyone not to say it is for everyone right but it can be and so to really destigmatize it like you say and really show them that you know what like you have the opportunity to potentially save someone's life here, but not only that, but also help our society. And that's the end of the, that's the idea, right? You talked about a sense of community. And I think that's what builds it is just by simply helping one person, you can help the community and then you begin to build. And I think that it, it grows from there. Right. And so I guess when it taught, when you talk about that anxiety, what do you tell them? You know, like what, when that person comes to you or for anyone listening, like what kinds of, things do you talk to them about and maybe give them if someone comes to me saying that if they have experienced some anxiety I want them to explore it yeah. I want them to have a safe place to talk about it there's no judgment their feelings are validated hmm. there's not saying and I'm not comparing my my wounds to them at no, all just general I'm, yeah I'm not saying like oh well yeah I felt that too because it's like no I haven't my anxiety is completely separate from your anxiety yeah. where I my feeling stem is different than you everyone is individual in their experiences in their feelings so when someone comes to me saying like oh I was super anxious I want to say what do you think brought that on yeah. because I don't think someone ever is going to say, oh, I was anxious. And then you ask a question about it, like a very open, compassionate question. And then being like, oh, never mind. I actually wasn't like, just be <laughs> like, oh, no, sorry. Yeah. Like, For sure. I think if we are open and accepting and just say like, okay, we are going to get this, get through this together. Exactly. Like you talked about that community part. Yeah, And then also, I think you brought up a really interesting part of how we don't need, by destigmatizing it doesn't mean we're taking it on and, oh my God, you're anxious. Oh my God, I'm so, 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 so sorry. Like, are you okay walking on eggshells? I've seen the the opposite effect where I'm like, yeah, like I've experienced anxiety. I've experienced depression and people come to me thinking like, oh, she's a ticking time bomb. Yeah, Like I can't, I can't talk about this. I can't talk about that she's not going to be stable and all this stuff. And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. First of all, like it's a spectrum. Exactly. There are, there's slight anxiety. There's that performance. There's that social anxiety. There's functioning depression, functioning, everything Mm -hmm. like that. And just because I've been labeled or diagnosed, this does not mean I'm not fully capable 
and not able to compete in my sport. I've seen it both ways, you know. And that's the idea, right? Is that I think the word depression has a huge label on it. And I think when people hear depression, they're like, oh my God, like I've literally had people go, oh my God, like they must be crazy. Like there must be something wrong. Like there's something seriously wrong with them. And, you know, that's, it's so far from the truth because it's like, truthfully, I think so many people have experienced it in in a lot of minor ways or major ways too. This It's hard to, like I said, our society doesn't label it the correct way. They label it, I think, um, you know, as like you said, like that last resort, like they're at the end of their, you know, the end of their rope. And I think, like we said, we, it can be dealt with so much earlier. And I think that's the idea is to not have people have to get to that point to um, realize how important their mental health is um, to do that. And so I really want to touch on a point you said where you talked about, you know, like support system, um, you know, and how much that's meant for you. And how important do you think it is for people to, first of all, reach out um, to others, but second of all, go to the ones they trust most with, you know, these feelings and allow them to be validated? Yeah, I think that's, that could probably be one of the most painful feelings I've experienced is when you do reach out to someone that you thought could take the burden, could Mm -hmm. accept you, and it wasn't the response you're getting Mm -hmm. and you kind of crawl back into your hole and there's nothing wrong with that person they just aren't as aware or aren't capable of holding your your baggage and that's not to say you shouldn't reach out again um yeah I think it's definitely such a hard rope to walk on like if you're tight roping like it's so yeah, hard yeah. to balance it because as much as we want to be there and support other people, I don't think people have the intentions to say something negatively, exactly. but it, that secondary trauma can cause so much pain. Yeah. Cause not get... only go, no, go, go, sorry. Yeah. Oh. No, 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 you're, it's like, not only have you experienced such dark emotions or such uncomfortableness and you reach out to someone and what you're hoping is that validation and that acceptance and that support and yet you're faced with something else that wants you to crawl back um so yeah my biggest thing is even accepting your faults like say like if someone comes to you and say like hey like i'm not perfect i may say the wrong thing but this is how i think we can get better so just like addressing like no no one's an expert in this no one no one's gonna say hey like or first of all you shouldn't you shouldn't say like hey like uh, you know just rub some dirt on it because that's the old stigma that's literally what we've been talking about this whole time it's like as much as it's uncomfortable for you to be brought this information just be like hey thank you so much for sharing this and thank you so much for trusting me with this information because sadly this information could kind of derail someone if it gets out that because at this point in time it's not a mental or emotional um, issue or injury is not as equivalent to a physical injury. If I was to come up to you and say, oh yeah, I have a face depression. And if I was to come up to you and say, oh, well, I sprained my ankle. Some reactions are, oh my gosh, you should never play sports again. And then the other thing is you should never put weight on that ankle again. Would you ever tell someone who sprained their ankle, you should never put weight on that ankle again. Exactly. That's, and that's similar to when people are faced with depression or anxiety. 
well, you need to just remove that stress. You need yeah. to remove that that sport or anything like that. And so unbelievable. I mean, most relatable thing I've ever heard, I think, is you know how often you hear that. And where I think the crazy thing is, is that as athletes, we're just told that so often that you don't even realize it's happening. I think that's the crazy thing is like somebody told me that, you know, before I think I went on this journey with mental health, I think now I have a better understanding of it maybe, but for sure. I mean, six months ago or or eight months ago, no way. I would have been like, man, he's right. Like there's, I'm just being an idiot. Like that's for sure what I would have done. And I just, I think that so many would probably do the same because you know, for so long, I think a really great example is like, you know, for instance, I mean, my, uh, you know, my friend, my girlfriend, Riley, uh, she talked about it in, um, you know, or growing up uh, with this certain coach, actually not sure who it was, but talked about how he would just rampage into her, rampage into her, rampage into her, right? And it became so normal that when she came to somewhere else and had a new coach, she was like, wait, so that's like not the only way to do it, right? Like, that's not like I can actually, like my feelings are actually validated. And she said that changed her perspective on everything Um, and that it really allowed her to grow. And I think that it can happen as a person, um, you know, more importantly than an athlete. And that's what, like you said, what that can do. Yeah, as much as like you can face so much challenge and so much like adversity with your mental health, it really only takes one person. It really only takes that one person to reach out, give you a hug and say, I'm so sorry you've experienced what you have. I'm so sorry you felt the way you have, but we're going to get through this. Yeah, that's it. And I think that's amazing. And so I guess to kind of close off here, um, you know, the final question would be so to anybody um, listening or any athlete or a regular person that's kind of going through a similar struggle or something similar to what you went through, what's the biggest um, or most important piece of advice you think you could give them? I think the biggest thing why we don't reach out and get help is because we're always comparing. Mm -hmm. We think, oh, this isn't that bad. Mm -hmm. They've had it worse. Or we think, Oh, it's okay. But the biggest thing that I can like pull from my mental health journey is you don't have to be rock bottom. You don't have to be at rock bottom in order to get help. Like if to make it again, like you don't have to be at your worst to think I don't need help. Like you can maybe be, maybe you're at your 50% and get help. You could be at your 80% get help like we have this thought in society that by getting help means that we're lesser when as long as i've been growing up i've always heard the saying it takes a village (laughs) it takes those around you it takes your friends it takes your family it takes your coaches it takes the support staff it takes so much more than yourself and i think in athletics we always see the big name we see your Michael Jordan, your LeBron James, we see uh, Misty May, Kerry Walsh, other volleyball players, other athletes, um, and think it was all of them. It was that one person. Little do we know, there were so many people along the way that helped. Exactly. No, I think that's an incredible story because I think I, um, you know, I actually heard a story recently where I was talking about a soccer player who won the Ballon d'Or a couple like a couple years ago I actually don't remember the name exactly but when he got up to the stage 
he goes, this trophy isn't mine. This trophy is for every single person along my journey who has been one piece of it. He was like, this trophy is a million pieces spread out into all the people that have helped me get here. It's not mine. And I think that there's not many things like that. I think that really just kind of leads to the point out what you just said. And I think it's really an amazing, a really amazing point. Yeah, that's a great story. I have, I didn't hear that one yet. But seriously, um, thank you so much for uh, jumping on today. And I'm so excited for people to be able to hear, you know, your perspective and your story. And I know me personally, I um, took so, so much from it. So that was awesome. Yeah, thank you so much. I thought when I was reached out about doing this, I was like, this is cool. Like, why haven't I thought of something like this? So I think it's really cool that you took the time and the energy and you're making this platform not only for yourself, but for other like-minded athletes and aspiring athletes too. And not even non-athletes can exactly. benefit from this completely because whether you're in the symphony or whether you're in the workforce or anything like that, like it translates. Exactly. My well-being, my athletic performance can be similar to your well-being and your work performance or your relationships and everything so uh, thank you again for having me i look forward to listening to this and your future shows me too thank you so much uh we'll be in touch and uh i cannot wait and uh go Knowles. go Knowles. <laughs> there we go crush it